Hi, everyone, and welcome to Seven Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school. I've been a youth minister, and I have a master's in theology, but the purpose of this podcast is just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. And today I'm walking and talking with someone I've not yet met in person, but is another match from Podmatch. He is a pastor, an author of six books, including his most recent memoir called Chasing After after the wind, a pastor's life. It's Doug Brower. Hi, Doug. Hi, Julia. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, it's true that I've been a Presbyterian pastor for uh, more than 40 years, although at the end of my career, this is part of my uh, the, the story I tell in the memoir, I uh, went to an independent church in Europe and for the last five years served a church in Zurich, Switzerland. In fact, I'm going back in two and a half weeks to do a, an interim stint. But um, Still a Presbyterian, I've come back and joined a church locally and contribute where I can. And you mentioned that you're currently in Michigan, right? Yeah, I grew up in Grand Rapids and now we live close to Lake Michigan. The kids love to <laughs> have a free vacation with us. Yeah, <laughs> I'm originally from, I live in Virginia now, but I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. So we have Lake Erie right right next to us. <laughs> the Great Lakes are wonderful. They are. And it's not humid. Like right now it's miserable in Virginia. Is It's July. So um, is it pretty, pretty mild where you are currently or hot? <laughs> After a, a muggy week, uh, it's beautiful today. That's great. Yeah, I do appreciate. I, you know, I can't handle the snow and the cold for the rest of the year, but I do like the summers up there. My parents are actually in the UP right now. They always go up there for a festival. Well, um, I was, I, I've, we've talked about uh, the road to Emmaus. Obviously, it's the name of this podcast or like the the inspiration for the name of this podcast. And so when we originally connected, you know, you'd mentioned you wanted to talk about it. I said, oh, I've had someone talk about it. But I, you know, I believe scripture is living and it can speak to us no matter, you know, where we're at in our phase of life. And uh, so, and everybody can offer a different perspective. So we're going to talk about the road to Emmaus again from Luke's gospel. So I'm going to have you read a little bit from that passage and then we're going to talk about it. Uh, happy to do that. Uh, This is from the last chapter of Luke's gospel. Now, at that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? Okay, so we are going to, um, we're that's the part we're going to focus on. And like I said, talked about this before, but just kind of recap for people who maybe are not familiar or listening to this for the first time. Um, the Road to Emmaus is a pretty po- famous post-resurrection um, narrative. So this has happened after the crucifixion and the two people that are walking, Cleopas is named, the other is not, and we can talk about it maybe. Um, but they are talking about the events of the crucifixion. Um, you know, Everyone's kind of talking about what had just happened to Christ. And then later in this, uh, and, and as you kind of ended with, Christ appears to them. And they don't recognize him at first, but then later at the end, there's this beautiful scene. And in the breaking of the bread, they sit and break bread together. And then they say that their hearts were burning within them, you know, that they could have 
they had this sense that it was him. So um, my first question for all of my guests is, why did you pick this passage? Why did you want to discuss this, Doug? Yeah, I heard a, a sermon. Uh, actually, it was during the writing of my memoir, which sort of uh, crystallized what I was getting at in my memoir. There is a very uh, sad uh, but profound statement in this story. And the preacher who lifted that statement up uh, was of enormous help to me. The, the, the statement was, um, uh, I think this occurs much later in the story, but the, the two disciples said, we had hoped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the preacher called those the three saddest words in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And, and they suggest disillusionment and discouragement. Uh, in English, uh, I suppose that's pluperfect. But in any case, it's completed action. It's over with. I mean, whatever we wanted is now, I mean, the door is now closed on that. Mm-hmm. So very, very sad. And uh, I mean, just to answer your question, that that helped me uh, give language to my uh, memoir, which contains a fair amount of disillusionment uh, as well. Although not to, <laughs> just to re- uh, remind the listeners, there is a narrative arc and so the, the the story ends with grace and reaffirmation mm-hmm. of ministry and so on. But the memoir attempts to be very uh, honest about the disillusionment. Hmm. That is interesting. Yeah, that, that line does kind of stand out to me as well, that we had hoped. But as you mentioned, it doesn't stop there. It does continue. Um, and and like you mentioned, this moment of grace and they actually get to have this encounter. I, I love this like very honest encounter with Christ. How does this uh, passage connect to your story? You kind of alluded a little bit to it. Yeah, I, I uh, was ordained um, around 1980, so I've been at this a while. And at that time, the mainline church was uh, strong and <laughs> seemed to uh, have everything it ever dreamed of. Uh, but already the signs of decline were there, and uh, I bought into a vision of the church, which no longer exists, to be honest about it. So my 40 years of ministry witnessed, uh, in short, the decline of the mainline church, but uh, it's it's much more than that. It's a way of being the church that it no longer works, and I wish I had seen that earlier on. I wish I acknowledged it and come to terms with it, but took a long time to realize that what was happening was out of my control. But you, but you still continued on though, like you persevered on, right? Like this, you're still a pastor and, and active in ministry. You know, I, I've done a fair amount of reading now about disillusionment and the people who write sp- spiritually uh, about these matters describe disillusionment as a gift, which mm-hmm. I had never, <laughs> I had never mm-hmm. considered before. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, writes mm-hmm. beautifully about this. And he says, if, if we're fortunate, we are disillusioned earlier in our lives so that we can let go of one way of thinking about the church uh, to embrace what is authentic. And I, I wish uh, so much that I had allowed myself to be disillusioned much earlier in my ministry. Mm. Oh, I can I can relate. I feel like a lot of us probably can at this stage uh, with everything that's going on in our country and with media and social media being so at our fingertips. It's very easy, I think, to get delusion, disillusioned about a lot of things, not just the church, but certainly the church, in my opinion. I, I'm a Catholic. You know, I feel like there's a lot of bad press, a lot of you know stories and things that are coming out, um, you know, both true and maybe, you know, um, misinformation. But 
anyways, I, I don't know what what kind of um advice do you have for those of us who maybe are feeling a little bit disillusioned? Like what, how do we persevere? Well, there is good news in this story and uh-huh. I didn't get there in the reading, but about the time that they are utterly honest with themselves about their disillusionment, we had hoped that Jesus was going to do this one thing. And it turned out that wasn't, you know, what, what he was about after all. Uh, it was, it's close to that moment that we find their eyes open and they recognize who Jesus really is. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, it took it took a long time for me to get here, but I think the faster we embrace that disillusionment and uh, acknowledge that it's real, the mm-hmm. faster—not that speed is the issue—but the the faster we will embrace a more authentic vision of the church. Mm-hmm. And I think that is good advice. And for me too, I was just actually. Uh, kind of revisiting this. I, I discerned religious life when I was in my 20s. So I actually entered a convent for a year. Um, I didn't end up taking vows and I ended up leaving because it wasn't my vocation. But um, that certainly was a period of like a little bit of disillusionment. And like I mentioned now, I think with everything going on in our world, it's easy to get disillusioned again. But what works for me um, during that time of discernment, I read a lot of like Ignatian, like discernment of spirits. I don't know if you've read any like spiritual exercises by St. Ignatius. Um, yes, yes, yes. 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 You're familiar like what, like his idea of like consolation and desolation in those times exactly. when we're like desolate, then we can go back and think about the times of consolation. So I don't know. That's kind of what came to mind when you were talking about like the disillusionment. I don't know if you wanted to respond to any of that. Well, I, you know, I've met with spiritual directors uh, often over the years and I wonder why as I, you know, complained about my life uh, to the spiritual director, I wonder why uh, none of them said, well, good. I'm so glad. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it's about time this happened to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what a good spiritual director would have said to me. I'm so glad mm-hmm. that you've reached this point because now you're ready. Why, why do you think that is that maybe not just the church, but just people in general that we don't own up to or like acknowledge the disillusionment that we have with anything really. Well, I don't know about your uh, career situation. For me, I had embraced a vision of ministry, which was uh, pretty good. I had a a good life as a Presbyterian pastor in terms of uh, it meeting my material needs and and my family's needs. So (laughs) I had less incentive to be real, but it it was there all along. Mm -hmm. So I, I embraced the ambition and I embraced uh, all the other trappings of professionalism. Mm-hmm. And I, what I needed more than anything to do was to let go of all of that. And I, mm-hmm. I hope that at this stage in my life, I've finally been able to do that. I think you're right. I think, you know, acknowledging the disillusionment that we might have is is scary. And it might mean, like you mentioned, like a career path change or maybe a relationship change. Like if we have to really, if we really look at, um, you know, what's going on. I don't know, but, but let's maybe talk a bit more about like that beauty, then what kind of freedom then comes from the acknowledgement of it? Like, what'd you say? So I, based on what I've read, uh, a fair number of people at my stage of life go through a a review and it was Mm -hmm. not something I wanted. I didn't look for it. Uh, but in the first months of retirement, I was plunged into, a kind of review. And I asked myself, what, what did this amount to? What, the, what I devoted my life to, was it worth mm-hmm. anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, did I make a difference uh, anywhere? And as I said, I, I, those were questions I didn't want to ask, but I found myself asking them. And as I started writing it out, uh, 
<laughs> which is how I figure out what I believe about things. As I was writing, it became clear to me uh, what what the answer was. I had been you know, chasing, as my grandmother uh, liked to say, I've been chasing after wind a good part of my life. Yeah, that uh, title of your memoir, I was struck by that because um, me knowing that you're a pastor and knowing that we're going to be talking about scripture, I'm thinking about like how in the Old Testament, Elijah's up at the mountain and, you know, there's, we've talked actually on this podcast about that verse as well, where like, he's looking for God and waiting for an answer and it's not in the fire. It's not in the wind. Right. It's like in, or it's like in the small silent that he, that he hears. I don't know um, if that connects to you at all or your title of your memoir, but that's what came to mind when I heard it. You know, I love that story too. Mm-hmm. You know, it, my, I grew up in a very religious family. Uh, I was steeped and marinated in Christian faith from, I think the day I was born. But uh, so reading scripture at the dinner table was just something we did. And I'll never forget going to my grandmother's house and hearing her read from the book of Ecclesiastes, which always struck me as an odd place <laughs> for you know dinner table devotions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it like con- contemplates the circle of life like right. at the dinner table. Yeah. <laughs> so why she did that, I don't know, but it made a, an impression. And if you read in the first couple of chapters anyway of that book, there's a fair amount of that same spirit. I And, I, you know, I thought my grandmother had, had it made. I thought once you reached a certain point of in life that your, your, most of your problems went away. And besides, she had me, her you know, grandson. Uh, but... Uh, and I don't think she was depressed, but I think that as she reviewed her own life, she realized that uh, she spent a lot of time chasing things that were not, that were insubstantial. Mm-hmm. And if she meant to pass that message along to me, uh, I got the message uh, at mm-hmm. some point anyway. Wow. I remember my, it was fun. My, my grandmother was um, a Polish immigrant and she came over after World War II and it was, you know, she's got her her traumas and her, she was a a beautiful, brave woman for everything she'd been through, but um, very, very Catholic. And like in her kitchen would be like, pictures of Pope John Paul II, which was the Polish Pope. And, but she looked at me when I was entering religious life and she was like, you know what, you're, you're too religious. And she was, she had a very hard time with, with me, like, um, wanting to give my whole life to the church. Um, I think probably had to do with like poverty and her coming from poverty and didn't want that for me, you know, but, um, anyways, it's, it's so interesting (laughs) what we take away from, and then I don't know what their dreams are and what we take from it. And, um, anyways, that was just my yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I just the opposite, but uh, right. Yeah, they're 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 too soon gone, and we can't ask those questions anymore. Right. No, I mean it was just funny to me. I, I took it like as kind of funny. I'm like, you're calling me too religious, but there's literally a picture of the Pope in your kitchen. You know what I mean? Like, wonder where I get it from. But uh, but no. Anyways, um, well, let's connect. Let's go back to the the road to Emmaus and the story. So we start off with this this disillusionment, and I feel I feel for them because they really do think that you know that it's done. However, if they really had been like following everything Jesus had saying, you know, was saying that they would know that he was going to come again. But they didn't really get it. I don't know if you wanted to respond to that. No, um, what I wanted to say, and I, I was thrilled to discover that you're a Bible teacher. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to say is that uh, I too uh, came to faith because of wonderful s- storytelling in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these wonderful passages of scripture were presented as story. Mm-hmm. So I think from an er- as far back as my kindergarten Sunday school class, I heard these stories and was 
astonished by them. But uh, Luke, among all the writers of scripture, Luke is probably one of the best storytellers uh, of mm -hmm. all. Uh, I don't want to diminish the other gospel writers because they have their own uh, literary gifts, but uh, Luke knows how to tell a story. Mm -hmm. And uh, in, in this story, he leads us along and it's sad. And there's even a kind of humor there. I ended with what things I think Jesus just wants to keep them talking. Yeah. Right? Uh, so he's, he's doing what a therapist does. Well, say more about that. Yeah. And uh, so they, they go, they go into more detail about their sadness. And then it's not until the table, uh, not until this resurrected uh, Christ who, who is, who, who mentions his own hunger it was wonderful insight into who he is at this point. Uh, it's at that point that suddenly their eyes are open and they recognize him. So there's a there's powerful theology here mm -hmm. about the the what it means to share a meal uh, together. The I would I mean what comes to mind is the Eucharist here, but yeah, I'm Catholic, so yes, that's a, that's a big thing for us. <laughs> okay, I can say that then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it's certainly at the heart of what I believe about the sacrament, that in the eating and drinking, in the in the dining together, so to speak, mm -hmm. it's at that moment that we recognize him. So at that moment, they're transformed, mm -hmm. right? Their disillusionment, if it doesn't disappear altogether, it certainly diminishes and they, they, they begin to catch on that the vision is going to be completely different for the future. Um, and it's interesting at the, in verse uh, 31, he then vanishes from their sight. And Jesus, in these like post-resurrection stories in Luke and in John, he's like appearing to people. And a lot of it involves like food and he's he has a meal with them. And that's usually when they recognize him. And then he kind of disappears sometimes again. I don't know. What do you what do you make of that? Just like him kind of vanishing from them. So it's interesting, isn't it? I want detail about this resurrected body. I, I want to know mm -hmm. more about that. And Luke uh, teases us a little bit. Uh, with the mention of his hunger, but then there's this other action which doesn't fit. That he he seems to flit in and out of their lives, mm -hmm. not just here, but in other other stories as well. Yes, I th this resurrected body is still a mystery in the end, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we probably have to leave it there. W what was that like? Well, in the end, we don't know. Yeah. It is so interesting. Luke is, I was taught that Luke was a physician himself and was very like, could, like paid attention to details and just was more, more detailed and um, like, especially with like the things of the body and, and healings. Um, he would, was fascinated kind of um, with that. I don't know if that's your understanding as well. <laughs> I, I was certainly taught that too. And then I've mm -hmm. had, um, you know, scholars along the way, teachers who would say, well, there's no direct evidence of that. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure what to say, but uh, clearly he is a well-educated mm -hmm. uh, Greek writer. Mm -hmm. And if that comes from his medical training, terrific. But <laughs> yes, his, his attention to detail is just wonderful. Mm -hmm. I love the way that he introduces this and also acts like that he like calls us a friend of God. And then he's like, I'm, you know, you've heard these other stories, but like, I'm going to give you a detailed account, <laughs> like according to what I understand. I don't know. I love how he introduces um, what he's going to share with us at the beginning of his books. Right. And then, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, this is not the end. I mean, he, he begins a second right. volume. <laughs> right. With Acts. So, yeah. Right. 
so what ends in, you know, some discouragement and then it's unclear about where things are going to go because of the ascension. And then suddenly Acts begins with an explosion mm-hmm. of uh, God's work in the world. So mm-hmm. far from sadness and, and death, there's this explosion of new life and it's, it's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a good yeah, I mean, all the beauty of the Paschal mystery, and you're mentioning Ecclesiastes earlier, like this, the cycle is, you know, there are these moments of deep despair and darkness, but then there we have that hope of like that there's going to be new life. And so his his book certainly ends with the ascension and then starts acts with the ascension as well. I don't know what else, how can part of the podcast, the reason I did this is to teach us more about scripture and kind of the different meanings behind it. But um, what else do you think we can get from this passage like today to help us in our lives? You know, um, I don't want to lose sight of the storytelling issue. Um, I think that the best way to read this, and, and not that we're reading fiction here, but the but that Luke brings the gifts of a storyteller to the source material. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wish that uh, more Bible teachers would relish the the vividness of the story and the deep emotions that are on display, mm-hmm. and also the glimpse of the divine. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that as a writer, that would be so hard to capture, and yet Luke um, somehow he does it. Somehow he lets the reader know that what has happened here is not of human origin. But that that they were, we are, in the the presence of the risen Christ. Yeah, well, maybe we can talk about some of the ways that he he does that here. So we have him, Jesus, when he does, you know, kind of say, "Tell me more." <laughs> you know, they walk and he, and they kind of they have this conversation, and then Jesus uh, recounts the scriptures, kind of starting with the Old Testament and. Kind of like it, or it takes me back to earlier in Luke's gospel when uh, Mary and Joseph find him in the temple preaching, and like you know the priests are amazed that he has all this understanding of the, the scriptures. I don't know. What do you, do you agree? <laughs> That's one of the kind of divine moments. Yes. In his, I mean, they were, they were clearly taken by this stranger and why they couldn't recognize him is not clear, except that their eyes were, except they were kept from recognizing him, mm-hmm. but uh, clearly they were taken uh, by his teaching. And mm-hmm. that seems to be a consistent theme throughout the gospels that mm-hmm. when Jesus opened his mouth and said, I have something to say to you, that people uh, listened carefully. And so here one last time, uh, it's happening. He he said, look, I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to give you an overview of the scriptures. And presumably these disciples knew a little bit of the story. Mm -hmm. I don't think these were ignorant uh, people, Mm -hmm. but somehow his retelling of the story uh, captured their imagination. Um, and we kind of discussed already, like the maybe one of the reasons Luke has some kind of vanish is because we don't know what the the afterlife is going to look like, what a resurrected body looks like or it entails. Um, but maybe we can talk about why do you think a lot of the gospels in these post resurrection narratives like have people not recognizing Jesus at first? You know, I think it's tough to write about. Mark, as you know, uh, ends officially ends without a resurrection appearance. And then some of the <laughs> earlier, I mean, very early readers say, well, wow, this is unacceptable. And so uh, there are at least a couple of longer endings that are that are added because it seemed unacceptable mm-hmm. that Jesus would not make uh, an appearance. So 
by the time Luke writes his gospel, he too wants to call attention to the resurrection body. And I, I guess I'm guessing at this, he doesn't have a lot of material to work with. Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, so we don't get a good physical description mm-hmm. uh, of who this person is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know if it's, you know, in Luke or in John or in both, but you know, they kind of talk about him. Maybe they think it's a ghost at first. Um, but then, like I said, mentioned before he eats and then they are like, Oh no, he's human. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I love the story in John's gospel. This, this is a close second to the walk to Emmaus where Jesus is making breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so clearly something's happening there. Clearly somebody assembled some firewood and, uh, you know, started a fire. Like, it, clearly he has human agency at this point, mm-hmm. uh, but still they're straining. I mean, that's probably who, who we are today. We're straining to see this figure in front of us. Are you really who we want you to be? Are you, mm-hmm. you know, like, we're looking very hard to, to recognize him. And that kind of takes me back to where we kind of started with this conversation about in those moments where we're maybe not sure, we're disillusioned, we maybe don't have hope or we're uncertain, like we can rely on our our knowledge, our consolation, our um, encounters. And ultimately, this isn't, you know, this is a beautiful story of an encounter. Like he appears to them, makes himself known to them in a moment when he, he they are down, like they're sad, like you mentioned. Um, so I don't know, this this does all hopefully, I think, lead us to to hope and, and hopefully leads us to either having a new encounter with Christ or to uh, revisiting some of those moments where we felt uh, close to Christ. I don't know. What would you say kind of is the, the yes. moral of this story? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it's As I said, it sets the stage. So as soon as this is over, there, there are a few more verses here, but as soon as this gospel is over, the stage is now set for something mm-hmm. to happen. You know, that Jesus, the story actually ends with the ascension. So what's going to happen next? And the disciples hunker down mm-hmm. uh, for, <laughs> it turns out to be a surprisingly uh, long time, uh, mm-hmm. 40, maybe 40 days, 50 days. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. but the stage is set for this wonderful uh, inbreaking of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it does, it set us up. This I love how this Luke's book is not fully complete like you have to take it to acts you know because it does it there's there's more to the story and um what are some final takeaways you'd like us to kind of take away from this passage doug yeah uh by lifting up this story i don't mean to dismiss uh any others uh because as i mentioned i i grew up hearing the bible as story and it was taught by some very fine sunday school teachers along the way but there are certain points in our lives where some stories just speak to us Uh, in a powerful way. And that's what happened with this story. I'd heard it many times. (laughs) I I have preached from it many times only because I love it. And then there I was sitting in church one day soon after my retirement and a preacher I'd never heard before uh, launched into a homily and I heard just the words I needed to hear Mm -hmm. from a story I knew very, very well. Mm -hmm. So I I think the, the, the bottom line is there. Uh, no matter how familiar we are with these stories, they have the power to speak to us in a, a fresh way. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. That's one of the reasons why I agreed. I was like, no, of course, we could totally talk about this again, because it's, for, you know, it's connected to this podcast. And 
and yeah, and we all just have our different stories and our different connections and the, and, you know, depending on the day, different words stand out to us. We could really go over all the verses, you know, so many times with different people. But um, Doug, at the end, I give people a chance to promote and plug anything that they like, any projects. And I know you have some books out there. So what would you like us to check out and where can we find you? Well, my publicist would be mad at me if I didn't uh, mention the book. So the, the book's title is Chasing After Wind, A Pastor's Life. And you can find it on Amazon or from the publisher, which is Erdman's. Uh, I, I also want to mention that if people are traveling to uh, Europe in the fall, uh, I'm going to become an interim pastor uh, while that church searches for a new pastor, an interim pastor in The Hague. And uh, I would love <laughs> I would love to meet any new friends who happen to travel through and are looking for uh, English speaking worship. Do you know the languages that you're going to be um, preaching in? Uh, uh, you no one know. wants to hear me speak Dutch, so no. uh, it's, <laughs> I, I served a, a church in a German-speaking part of the mm-hmm. world, and no one wanted to hear me speak German. It was <laughs> they were there for the English. <laughs> well, you all can definitely find, uh, you know, if you're passing through Europe and you want to check the Doug out there, you can find him there. Um, and then also the book Chasing After Wind and uh, other titles as well. Can we just find you on Amazon? I, yeah, I think that's the easiest way. Okay. Um, if you all want to learn more about me and this podcast, I am on Instagram at seven mile chats, all spelled out. I'd love to hear from you if you want to be a guest. And I'm also on Twitter at Miss Struckley one M S S T R U K E L I one, where I tweet about what's going on in my classroom. And you can also reach out to me there if you want to know more about scripture or want to be a guest. Uh, but thank you, Doug, very much for sharing your story with us and talking about this passage with me. And thank you, Julia. It was, it's been fun to talk. Absolutely. Bye everyone.